was late 1963 or 1964. I was eight years old, and somewhere around then I heard a Beatles song on the radio. That's the only media that I really got. It was a radio. I don't even know if I had a record player then. Probably had a record player. Not much of one. But, you know, where I grew up, at the top of a mountain pass, 20 miles from the nearest town of Sisters, which had a population literally of about 600 people, there was Bend, Oregon at the time, which was 20 miles further, and the population then was about... 13,000. So going to town was a big deal. Me and my three brothers got to do it a few times a month, mainly on Sunday when we went to church, going to town, going to Bend. And on occasion, we go into a department store and I found there was a record section there. You'd go in and amidst all the, you know, the clothing and the furniture and all this stuff uh, in downtown Bend, there was a little section, maybe 10 or 15 feet wide that had records there. It had some albums and had uh, racks at the top 40 on the wall, and I ended up just picking one out. It had the Beatles on it. I just picked it out. I'd never heard it before, and I took it home and listened to it. It was Slow Down by the Beatles. If you love to Slow Down is a Larry Williams song that the Beatles covered. The B-side was a Carl Perkins song, Matchbox. I had no idea, of course, at the time. I just figured, it's the Beatles. It's the Beatles. And it just grabbed me. Slow Down in particular grabbed me. It had energy. It had juice. It had John Lennon making great noises and screams and whoops throughout the record. I loved it, especially. So that was my first 45. The first album I bought was I Still Have It. It's uh, A Hard Day's Night. It wasn't much longer. I don't know exactly when it was released. Sometime in early 1964. Still got it. Uh, Unfortunately, the single version of Slow Down and Matchbox somehow vanished over the years, but... Uh, I still have the very first album I bought, The Beatles' A Hard Day's Night. (laughs) It's pretty scratchy. (laughs) Hey, it's Tim Patterson. This is Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee, where I sit down with a a cup of coffee and talk about some aspect of business, whether it's my business, Trade Show Guy Exhibits, or the trade show and event business. And, you know, later in the show, you're going to hear an interview with a guest. You'll hear a trade show tip of the week and this week's one good thing, Uh, of course, which, oddly enough, is... Beatle-related. How about that? I didn't even think about that until now. Uh, of course, I also talk about other things that uh, interest me, which is why I brought up the Beatles in my first record-buying experience. Now, it wasn't long after the Beatles that I found, hey, there's other groups out there. This is pretty cool. You know, I was eight, nine years old. Dave Clark Five came along, Paul Revere and the Raiders, which I thought was really cool because they came out of the Northwest. Uh, Portland, Rolling Stones, Yardbirds, animals, and the list just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as I grew, I got into fifth grade. I wanted to play an instrument. I actually tried trumpet, but my lips hurt. I didn't like that. And I saw the guys in the back having fun with the the snare drums and the bass drums. And I thought, I got to try that. So I became a drummer, played all through high school. Uh, It was great fun. And my love of music just has always stuck with me. I could say that part of the reason is my mother, who, uh, by the way, turned 21 this month. She plays, still plays and has played from a very young age, about the age I started, probably in the fifth grade. Piano, flute, piccolo, guitar, violin, and all of them still pretty well. I think she passed some of that uh, love of music along to me, but it started really, really young. (laughs) I listen to music all the time. All right, this week I have a fun interview with Danny Orleans, who is a professional magician, not musician, magician. He's chief magic officer for Corporate Magic Limited. Fun interview. Here's how it went. Welcome to Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. Uh, it's Tim Patterson, the Trade Show Guy, and I've got Danny Orleans, who's known as the Chief Magic Officer. Uh, Danny, uh, appreciate you spending some time with us here on on the program. Thank you. 
Good morning. Great to be here. Good morning. So uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I don't so think I, people like the 10, 10 year history, but you know, what, how, what do you do these days? These days I am a corporate magician. Uh, I specialize in doing magic at trade shows in order to help my clients draw more traffic to the booth and communicate their marketing message. It's interesting because magic can be a very personal thing. You know, you've got a small crowd of two or three people. Uh, and then the bigger things are like in front of larger crowds. So I'm sure that there's a challenge and we can talk about that to how that works in front of a, a crowd of 10, 20, 50. I don't know how many you get in a, in a mm -hmm. depending on your clients and the size of the show. Uh, so how do you work your client's message into the magic? That's probably the, the trick, isn't it? Well, it's one of the tricks. Um, you know, certainly uh, no pun intended there, but uh, I will you know, to, to help your listeners picture what I do, I'll be standing uh, slightly elevated on maybe a six inch platform right at the corner of the booth near the busiest aisles. And I'll be behind a, what is, you know, a typically a trade show table, a countertop height and uh, on a small sound system. And I use these uh, techniques to help draw traffic. So I will do magic with playing cards, money, people's wristwatches, and I'm able to incorporate their sales message because pretty much every company wants to communicate the fact that they can save a, a client or, or customer time, save a customer money, and they like to show how they anticipate the needs of a customer. So I have specific magic tricks that help to illustrate that fact. And as I'm doing these magic tricks, I draw a crowd, and you're right. Starts out with two or three people. But because of my crowd building techniques, I'm able to build that crowd to 10, 20 people, all standing in the aisle for a brief presentation that runs anywhere from eight to 12 minutes. And then afterwards, my clients are able to scan the badges and qualify the people uh, in terms of uh, having conversations to determine whether or not they should uh, follow up with that. And I think that's a really critical part of it and, and that you hit the nail on the head is that you can do all this show and everything, but if your client isn't prepared to deal with the people that are there and sift through them quickly and not let anybody slip away, at least to the point of asking a question to find out if they are uh, someone that may be a qualified prospect versus someone who just wants to see the magic trick uh, and then making sure that they get the information. I mean, that's, pro that's the key to, to, to lead generation to my mind. And so obviously you have to work with your clients to to make that happen, I would presume. Right, absolutely. Well, what's so cool about the show and the way it works is as the crowd gathers, especially now with the really updated scanning technology where the, the as you know, the, everybody has a barcode or a QR code on their badge, my client is able to designate one person to kind of walk through the crowd with these, you know, portable wireless scanners and just capture all the leads just as people are standing watching me. So uh, you, you mentioned that uh, called experiential marketing. So that's kind of an overall umbrella term. How does it play with what you do? How, how does that term apply? Yeah. So, you know, as you know, experiential marketing is, is a very popular technique now and has been really proven to create uh, a memorable experience for a brand. You know, having a, a passerby and attendee at a trade show do something where they're interacting with the brand, you know, so if it's a, if it's a beverage, for example, you know, it might be sipping the beverage, you know, but most companies don't have a product that you can eat 
or even pick up in your hand. You know, if it's a piece of software, if it's an insurance company, a consulting company, um, a lot of them don't have physical products. And that's, that's where magic can be extremely powerful um, in terms of giving people a way to experience the brand in a fun, memorable way. For example, uh, one of my clients is ExxonMobil. And they go to trade shows to talk about their lubricants. I work for the, the lubricant division. And they can't bring a can of oil to the show and have people dip their hand in it. That's not the experience people right. can have. So I create a magic show built around their brand and the features and benefits of their brand. Mm -hmm. And as I talk about it, so for example, I can talk about how the lubricants will save a client money because it'll make their machinery run better, run longer. Uh, they'll need less changes of the lubricants because it's such a fine product. So I'll turn dollar bills into hundred dollar bills as I'm talking about the company. Um, I can talk about a way a company can help a, a customer be more efficient by borrowing a wristwatch and magically making the hands on the wristwatch move backwards. Uh, so these are the ways I incorporate a customer's message into my magic show. Interesting, so if you're a corporation that wants to use someone such as yourself to, to present, uh, obviously it's a way to draw a crowd. Um, and, and from your experience compared to not using someone like you, how, how, what's the lead generation difference? I mean, is there, are there, is there data on that? Can you like double, triple your, your leads if using something like that? I'm just curious. Yeah, well, a lot of my clients tell me that I've easily doubled or tripled their leads from the previous year. Mm -hmm. now, now, the question always is, how good are the leads? How good are the leads? You know? right. And it depends on the show, doesn't it? Some clients come to a show and, or an exhibitor comes to the show and they know that 90% of the people walking their show can use their product. Some, some exhibitors come to a show that number is 50% or even 25%. But depending upon, you know, the cost and the profit margin on their product, you know, their investment at a trade show, you know, can still be worth it if they generate enough leads. Exactly. And so, and they've got to take into the account, the, the investment for, for bringing in a professional presenter such as yourself. Um, and, and then, you know, doing the math as to what the return on investment is. And, and, you know, we, we know trade shows, of course, you know, you, you get leads and you follow up on them and, and depending on the, the client base or the, the, the product or service you're selling that you, you may not get the full ROI effect for a year or two or even more because those depends on the sales cycle of the product. Absolutely. Long, some of them are three months, some of them are three years. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you uh, hire a corporate magician or maybe uh, how do you not hire a corporate <laughs> magician? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a tricky thing, you know, um, because lots of people in the magic community say they do trade shows, but they don't really have the experience. Mm -hmm. I've done 500 to 600 trade shows since the uh, mid 1990s. And um, I appear at about 25 to 30 of them a year. And I'm, I'm very busy with it. 90% of my income is by doing um, magic shows at trade shows. And my clients include HP, Honeywell, ExxonMobil, uh, as well as lots of IT companies that your listeners will not be as familiar with. And um, it's very important not to just Google magician and the name of the city that the show is taking place in. 
because you will find people who do kids' birthday parties right. and or you'll find clowns and balloon twisters. And you really want someone who has the skill set to incorporate your corporate message while he or she is doing the magic show. I'm guessing that word of mouth and referrals is probably the best way to find someone that's good enough uh, at that level to do this because there's a lot on the line when you're hiring someone to do that. You're, you're right. And you don't want to hire somebody that just is used to doing, you know, balloon animals or something like that at a, at a, at a, at a kid's birthday party. That's an entirely different um, skill set than, you know, right. Even, even performing at a you know, corporate cocktail party is a different skill set. Why? Because you have to know how to draw people to the right. booth. You have to have these crowd building techniques that are, are subtle and effective and appropriate for the trade show environment. And, you know, for a magician performing in the trade show environment is completely different than performing at a corporate cocktail party where people are relaxed and having fun and perfectly willing to be entertained. People at a trade show, they're there for business. They're busy. They're They're busy. They have appointments, you know, so being able to pull them off the aisles into watching a corporate presentation. Right. There's another 2000 exhibitors there. They, they want to at least walk by the booth. So absolutely. Yeah. So obviously video is one way I I presume with the advent of the amount of video online, uh, seeing someone in in action uh, is probably also a good way to, to kind of. Right. And so absolutely. If people go to my website at corporate magic, ltd.com that's corporate magic limited.com they will see videos of me performing in front of you know for my clients and they can see the tone that i use the, the way i joke with uh, the passers-by in the booth the way i interact with them and it helps make a decision um, but you're right the number one way i get my clients is they see me on the trade show floor because every time i perform on the trade show floor there's a couple hundred exhibitors that see the big crowds around my booth and they come over and the first thing they ask me is now, do you work for this company? Because I'm able to incorporate that client's message so well, right. they think I'm part of the sales staff. And that's a skill too, you know, being able to take that message and, and, you know, seamlessly working it into what you already do. So you're kind of adapting their product uh, highlights and goals and all that stuff into what are you doing with your thing? So I'm curious, um, if you're at a trade show and there's just not a lot of traffic there, what kind of things do you do? Uh, is, is, are there things you can do to, to uh, you know, either make it a larger crowd or just be more effective with the small crowd that you have? What kind of things do you do? Um, well, even if the, the show is lightly attended or if it's the end of the day or the beginning of the day, there's not as many people in, in on the show floor. I'm still always the one at the busiest booth, you know? Um, I still have the busiest booth because I'm still gonna attract the crowds. And uh, different techniques I use, for example, uh, I have a little game that I play with people where they could win a $100 bill and they watch a magic trick and it's kind of a, you know, a little game. And if they answer three questions correctly, they can win the $100 bill. And it's all incorporated into a magic trick that's fun, highly visual. Um, and people know they're not going to win the $100 bill, but they're so uh, attracted to the fact that how's this magician going to make sure I don't win the 100 They find it so funny and amusing. And at the same time, they're learning about the features and benefits of my clients' products and services. 
Well, we're speaking with uh, Danny Orleans, Chief Magic Officer, uh, Corporate Magic. So give us the website again, uh, Danny. Yeah, it's www.corporatemagicltd, that's the abbreviation for limited.com. Danny, it's been a pleasure having you on uh, Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. Hope to run into you someday at, at one of these shows that we're all uh, out there. So it sounds like you're a busy guy. Uh, thanks again for taking time. Thank you. Thanks again to Danny Orleans for sharing his insight into hiring a corporate presenter and uh, other things as well, too. Check out the show links on the blog at tradeshowguyblog.com to find out more if you're not there. Uh, trade show tip of the week comes from my book, Trade Show Superheroes and Exhibiting Zombies. You can get it on Amazon along with my other book, Trade Show Success. Uh, tip this week, eight ways to justify the cost of a new trade show exhibit. Uh, so how, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big spend. It's a, it's quite a big spend. I work with companies all the time that have to consider whether it's time to invest that money. There are a lot of reasons that go into it. There's an, in fact, if you, the first chapter in this book is actually all about buying an exhibit, like nine things you need to know before buying a custom exhibit. Um, 10, uh, excuse me, 11 steps to sell the boss on a new exhibit, how to pitch them, you know? So here is eight ways to justify the cost of a new exhibit. There's no single answer. A lot of things can go into it. Let's uh, take a look. Uh, a few things to consider. Can you point to trade show marketing as a consistent method of bringing in leads? And are those leads converting to clients? If that's true, the question may be, hey, this is working great. Why should we change? Uh, it may be working, but if you're consistently running into issues like, you know, lack of space, uh, the company's growing, uh, too many visitors in your existing space, you may need a bigger space, a bigger booth. One way to determine this is to track visitors uh, by counting or by anecdotal evidence from your booth staff. So uh, if the trade show marketing is what you would consider a solid and consistent driver of your business growth, it seems like that's a pretty good reason to justify investing money when it is appropriate. Number two, consider the prospect of not doing anything. Uh, what would happen if you did not invest in a new booth? Would that mean you're satisfied for the next year or two or three with holding firm with the current exhibit property? How old are the current assets and how are they perceived by your staff and clients at the show, not to mention your visitors? Uh, number three, do your research. What, uh, what are your, most of your com uh, competitors doing? What are the strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats from within and without? A simple SWOT analysis. I uh, can tell you a lot about where you are and where you might go from there. Uh, if the top three competitors in your market have, you know, upgraded, uh, doubled the size of their booth space and invested, it's going to look like you're not keeping up, even if everything else is the same. If they've got new exhibits and you're kind of next to them in the same area and you look like the same thing you had five or six years ago and they look brand new, there's a perception issue there. Uh, number four, ask yourself if a new booth really is the answer. What if the booth works good, has all the proper things in there to function, but you're still not getting quite the leads and results you'd like? Could be other things. Uh, maybe the money should go to investing in your booth staff instead, or pre-show marketing, or making sure your post-show follow-up is right. So, you know, support your staff with consistent training, make sure they know what they're doing in there, all the pre-show stuff that goes on. That might be where the money could be better spent. It, it just depends. Uh, number five, if a booth is an answer. The new booth is an answer. Spend time assessing how to understand the investment of capital. For example, what's involved, when it will be delivered, how it'll happen, work with exhibit houses uh, to get all those questions answered and work through the process. It's not, a, it's not a quick process. 
but it's all doable. Once all those items are assembled, number six, they should be presented in the context of the life of the booth. So do you plan to use the booth for uh, three years, five years, seven years uh, before considering major upgrades? One client that we worked with had a 30 by 30 in 2012. Then a couple of years later, they upgraded to a 30 by 40. And now they're at a 40 by 40. They've added bits and pieces, but not a brand new overall booth to that size, even though uh, 30 by 30 is what, 900 square feet, 40 by 40 is uh, 1600 square feet. They've almost doubled in size. Uh, determine how the new booth will affect the logistics of setting up and dismantling the booth. Uh, how will it affect staffing and one-on-one client meetings? So in my experience, uh, upgrading to a larger booth will impact the marketing staff. It'll give them more opportunities to meet more clients. And of course, with the new booth, they'll feel better about it. They'll brag about it. They'll bring more people over. That'll be part of the equation as well. But the costs for setting up and dismantling the booth will rise. Shipping costs will rise. So consider all that. Stepping up to a new booth is a major commitment that's often worth the return on investment, but that only you can decide that. And then uh, number eight, once you've got all that, it's time to present and assemble the proposed cost, the final cost. You've assembled a design and fabrication team. Uh, you have a reasonable price range for the project. All the bean counters want to justify in hard dollars, one versus dollar spent. And after going over the hard dollar figures, show some soft reasons for the upgrade. Soft reasons may include increased business opportunities due to a larger booth, uh, more visibility at the shows, uh, easier and quicker setup times with new design and new materials, lighter materials, possibly fabric graphics and, and versus uh, hardwood graphics or uh, uh, substrates from what you had maybe five or 10 years ago, better branding opportunities in your booth and so on. Be as specific as possible. Uh, for example, our new booth in the soft uh, skills area, softest reasons, will give us a 300% increase in visible graphic display area to show our brand and products compared with our current display. So detail all of that and then take it to the people that uh, can make that decision and let them decide. Maybe it's time, maybe it's not. All right, that's with, uh, this week's trade show tip of the week. This week's one good thing is Paul McCartney's Egypt Station. The new CD. Here it is. Uh, Egypt Station. Although it's been out for uh, quite a while, a few months, it's really a fun CD. I've heard it many, many times. And every time I, I listen to it, I go, yeah, the guy, the guy knows what he's doing. He's he's been around for sixty plus years, <laughs> making music. Uh, fun package, CD package, and they just came out with a couple of uh, different, um, I don't know, different versions of it. I haven't got them. Uh, I've heard about them. I get uh, Paul's newsletter, but uh, it's quite quite the CD. And I, I believe this is mainly his touring band uh, that he's been with for sixteen or seventeen years that supported him on this. Not always the case on his. Uh, albums, but that's a pretty good thing. So check it out. Paul McCartney, Egypt Station. That's it. It's uh, done. Join me again next week for Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee and bring your coffee. It'll be a lot of fun. Thanks. (laughs) 